It's time for Hidden Histories. I was a young lad, 15 and a half, attached to the Labour League of Youth, dedicated to the overthrow of fascism, not only in England but abroad. And you could hear in this conglomeration of people the chants, one, two, three, four, five, we want Mosley, dead or alive. And all across there was these banners flying. Remember them as though it were yesterday. I pushed my way through these banners. People were there, I, I can see them now, young and old, but mainly local people consisting of Irish and Jewish working class. They'd come there to stop the fascist invasion of our patch. All right, that was a man by the name of Bill Fishman, one of the eyewitnesses to the Battle of Cable Street in London in 1936. Next week, October the 4th, will mark the 80th anniversary of the confrontation in the heart of the East End. And tens of thousands of people clashed with Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists attempting to march through a predominantly Jewish district. And as Bill referred to there, Irish immigrants were caught up in the violence and one Irish veteran is still going strong today at 101 years of age. Donald Fallon, the historian of the Come Here To Me blog and the person who guides us through a hidden history every week is here in studio with us. How are you, Donald? Uh, good to see you, Chris. How are you? What could go wrong? A fascist march through a Jewish district of the uh, east end of London. <laughs> as you just said to us when you came in during the adverts, I have another riot from history for you. Yeah, people seem to respond well to riots, to the fascination uh, of human beings with violence. But this is a particularly good story. I think a, a nice element to it is the fact that Max Levitas, we'll talk about in a little while, uh, is still going strong at 101 years of age. OK, well, let's just, I mean, we're in now mid thirty. Britain. Just bring us to the 1930s first of all. The 1930s globally uh, but especially in Europe is kind of a time of street politics you know, and things change as much on the streets in the 30s as they change in Parliament uh, and you get that in Dublin. I mean there's massive riots in Dublin between the left and the right in the 30s uh, Frank Ryan who was a, a young IRA activist, he called himself a street fighting man and in the 30s you kind of had to be a street fighting man. If you were right wing you were looking to Hitler, Mussolini You know, if you were on the left you were looking at the Spanish Republic the Soviet Union. It felt like the whole continent uh, was was up for grabs. And there's no better example of this kind of street politics than what happened 80 years ago next week. Irish people are there, as we heard in that clip, caught up in this melee between Jewish immigrants, policemen, black shirts and more besides. Okay, well, let's. I've already mentioned his name, but Oswald Mosley. Yeah, Mosley is one of the fascinating figures of British political history because this man moves across the entire political spectrum uh, over the course of his life. He's born into incredible wealth. He didn't have to go and fight in the war, but he did. Uh, he fought in World War One on the Western Front, a very dangerous thing to do. He was an MP in the Conservatives. He crossed the floor, uh, which was a rare thing to do as a Tory. And the reason he crossed the floor was he wanted to condemn kind of British policy in Ireland. He attacked the Black and Tans as a disgrace. He said the the name of Britain is being the every rule of good soldierly conduct disregarded, every decent instinct of humanity outraged. He went from the right to the left, you know, he was in the Labour Party uh, but by the 1930s he was looking towards fascism and he even travels the continent, he sees Mussolini's movement up close uh, and he's by no means unique, you know many of the far right leaders in the 30s if you look at their own backgrounds, they'd actually come from the other end of the spectrum, they'd come from the left his movement is the British Union of Fascists and to be honest, he was a much more capable 
fascist leader than his Irish equivalent, uh, the rather lacklustre uh, Owen O'Duffy and the blue shirts. I'm wearing a blue shirt today, actually, totally by, totally by coincidence. There's a biography about Owen O'Duffy called Owen O'Duffy, A Self-Made Hero. Uh, and that's a good title for a biography of O'Duffy. But Mosley was the very opposite. You know, Mosley was a very capable leader. Uh, one contemporary described him as strikingly handsome, probably the best orator in England. His personal magnetism is very great. And he models himself on what's happening on the continent. There's the brown shirts, there's the black shirts, there's the blue shirts. And he's the, baron, he's the black shirts. What's going on in the doll at this time? I, I mean, the stuff that's being said here is ridiculous. And, and it might surprise people, but it's in keeping with what's being said across Europe. John A. Costello, who later becomes the Taoiseach, you know, he says in the doll in 1934, he says, as the black shirts are victorious in Italy and the Hitler shirts are victorious in Germany, the blue shirts will be victorious in the Irish Free State. So this kind of language is right throughout European society. Mosley isn't, an, isn't some freak, you know, uh, some freak on the peripheries of politics. He's part of a European-wide fascist movement that's on the rise. Yeah, and we see a big march and that's what we're going to talk about the Cable Street riot. That's our focus. But you get to that point by getting popular support and yeah. politics and media is the place they go for yeah, popular the, support. The Daily Mail, or as someone the left called it in the 1930s, the Daily Heil. Like the Daily Mail rallies behind Mosley. They champion him as this kind of great anti-communist icon. What he had going for him, uh, what Ono Duffy didn't have in Ireland, there was a Jewish community in London. You know, you could build a conspiracy around the Jews in London. There was a very small Jewish population in Ireland. So the blue shirts aren't really fascist in the way that the European equivalents are. But uh, 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 Mosley's movement rallies around this idea. You know, the Jewish sub-men, as they call them, they peddle all these cliches. The Jews control the markets. The Jews control the political system. He tells people that the Jews simultaneously control capitalism and communism, which would be an incredible feat. And he, and he builds up this mass movement with anti-Semitism at its very, at, at its very core. Okay, so what we're going to see nearly 80 years ago or 80 years ago next week is a tinderbox being being stoked and then going off. So let's talk about the stoking, the building of this moment. Uh, they gave, what, one or two weeks notice this, that the march was going to happen? Everyone knew this was a recipe for disaster. You know, in September 36, Mosley announces his plans to march through London's East End, which is an area that is just heavily populated by migrants, in particular Jews, pockets of Irish immigrants. You know, it's highly inflammatory. Uh, 100,000 people, 100,000 East Enders actually signed a petition you know, to the Home Secretary John Simon saying don't allow this to happen You know, this is going to end in chaos but the Home Secretary's response is to allow it to happen and to just fill the streets with thousands of policemen and what you get on the day of the march is the locals barricade themselves you know there's one great account an article from a few years ago said that they built barricades from paving stones timber and overturned lorries women threw the contents of chamber pots on the heads of policemen children hurled marbles under the horses and burst bags of pepper in front of their noses I mean this is absolute pandemonium just give us the numbers then, because Mosley had promised that this would be a march of thousands of people, and it was. But just give us the numbers of that <laughs> yeah. versus the county. Yeah, Mosley was right. There were thousands of people on the street. The problem was for him, most of them were there to oppose him. You know, anything in the region. Historians are now saying that there might have been more than 200,000 people on the streets that day in opposition to Mosley. And he had so what? Three? He has about, about 3,000 to 4,000 men. And there's 6,000 policemen on the street whose job is to get that small band uh, through the crowd. The leading Jewish voices in London at the time kind of asked young Jews to stay away. You know, the Jewish Chronicle said, you know, Jews, however innocently become involved in any possible disorder, will be actively helping anti-Semitism and Jew baiting. You know, they're telling them, please don't get involved in this. This is going to be mayhem. But when you look at the pictures of the people out on the streets, it's amazing because on the barricades, they're painting slogans, no passeran. It was the big slogan of the time in Spain during the Spanish Civil War. It literally means they shall not pass. Wow. And they're painting no passeran on the barricades. So they are very influenced by what's happening uh, on the continent. And young Jews 
in particular, they're the backbone of this. Right, let's talk about Irish Dockers. The Irish Dockers are there too. There's a great account. One observer said that I was moved to tears to see bearded Jews and Irish Catholic Dockers standing up to stop Mosley. There's also a reference to Hasidic Jews with little beards and great strapping Irish Dockers all standing together. And one Irishman who's in the thick of it uh, is Max Levitas. And Max is, is a great character. He's still with us today. He's 101 years old and he might have another 101 years in him. You know, he's in great health. Uh, he was born not far from where we're sitting, actually. He was born around Portobello. They used to call that Little Jerusalem yep. uh, in 1915. And he went to, to Britain as a young man in the 30s and threw himself into radical politics. He got arrested as a 19-year-old. Uh, he wasn't long in London. He painted anti-fascist slogans uh, onto Nelson's column uh, in Trafalgar Square. Down with fascism, fight fascism and whitewash on the, on the, on the column. I nearly said the pillar. We had the pillar. Uh, <laughs> they they, have the they had the column. Uh, and when he was arrested for painting these slogans onto, onto Nelson's column, uh, Mosley actually mocked this young Dubliner. You know, he said Levitas is hardly an old English name. Uh, but he was in the midst of it that day alongside his siblings, uh, one of whom went on to fight in the Spanish Civil War. His brother fought in Spain. Uh, but he, it, it's a sad story, Levitas, you know, because he, he would lose family uh, in the Holocaust, as many Jews would. And a lovely little piece on him last week in the Irish Times, Joe O'Shea went over and talked to him. Uh, and he said that pride of place in his little East End flat in London is the letter from Michael D. You know, that letter you get when you reach 100 years? Yeah. Uh, he has the letter from Michael D framed in, in the home. That is amazing because I was thinking of the man then when you were talking about him. I was thinking of the man now, but I actually hadn't thought of what was to come 10 years after this opposition uh, for his family basically yeah yeah and I mean there was there were Jewish the family came originated from Eastern Europe you know where people were fleeing pogroms in the late 19th century and by the 1940s members of his own family were among those who lost their lives as a result of Hitlerism so what happened on Cable Street Mosley lost uh, and brilliantly he didn't stick around for the consequences of that the next day he left he snuck out of Britain he went to Berlin and he got married so having endured the, the greatest political defeat of his career he just sneaks out of the country and he gets married he marries Diana Mitford and he does it brilliantly uh, in the home of Joseph Goebbels the Nazi propaganda minister and who's sitting in the crowd only the very small crowd one of the invited guests was Adolf Hitler at Mosley's wedding (laughs) at Mosley's wedding the day after this battle doesn't Mosley end up in Ireland he does he lives in Ireland kind of on and off for periods he never really endears himself to his neighbours and he becomes a kind of minor celebrity like he's invited to take part in student debates he actually debates Jack Lynch who was the Taoiseach uh, in King's Inns in front of an audience of kind of bemused uh, students and he went on the Late Late Show and you know if someone like him was invited on the Late Late Show today there would be protests outside RTE the idea no platform for fascists the other thing is if someone like him was on the Late Late Show tonight there would be thousands of recordings of it because people would do it on digital video recorders. Yeah. But is I don't, there, is I don't there want any to, tape? I don't want to slag off the opposition here on Newstalk. No, no, no. But uh, RTE archives, they, they recorded over huge amounts of stuff uh, with space limitation. And one thing that was recorded over was his interview on The Late Late Show. So it's not a YouTube classic. you know. We and can't that would watch probably it. be the only copy. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only copy gone. So if someone is listening to this and they have a copy somehow... You know, please get it up there online. It sounds like a great interview. Uh, Morris Earls wrote an article about it and he said that uh, I saw the programme at the time and I remember Mosley sitting in the front row of the audience, an old man defending himself vigorously against passionate denunciation. He was a hate figure, even decades later when Gay Bourne brought him on The Late Late Show. It's a fascinating story in terms of 200,000 stamping out a fascist march of 3,000. But the 80th anniversary of that is coming up 
Is it remembered in London? It Do is. EastEnders know this story? There is a beautiful mural in the East End of London that marks the kind of the carnage of that day and just policemen's hats flying through the air and you, know, you have Jewish workers and Irish workers and barricades and everything else. Well, we're going to see. David Rosenberg is a historian in London. He's done a lot of work in you know, pushing this hidden history. He wrote a book called Rebel Footprints that brings you right through London's kind of hidden history. Uh, and it's important to say the East End of London is still a very diverse place. It's no longer Irish migrants and Jewish migrants, mm. but you'll find people there from Bangladesh. It's a huge Muslim community from right across the Middle East. So that remains a part of London that embodies that great kind of multiculturalism uh, of British society. All right. Well, look, Donald, fascinating stuff. The Battle of Cable Street in London. 80, 80th anniversary is next week, October the 4th. And it's this week's Hidden Histories. Donald Fallon, tell us about the tours. We go every Saturday and Sunday in all weather uh, from the Little Museum of Dublin, half uh, 11. I know you're a League of Ireland fan, but even on All-Ireland Sunday? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, League of Ireland. I'm a garrison game man. I, I don't watch the GAA. I'm ashamed to admit that. What? Uh, on the radio. I'm strictly <laughs> League of Ireland football. But I'm going to go out of my brief here and congratulate Dundalk on an incredible performance. Oh, fair play. Fair play. That's big of you because you are a... <laughs> St. Patrick's Athletic. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Look, Donald, uh, the Little Museum of Dublin, what time? Uh, half 11, Saturdays and Sundays. And the Come Here To Me blog as well. So if you are up uh, or over from Mayo, you could take the tour in <laughs> and still get to the match on time. Uh, Donald Fallon, good stuff, Donald. Thank you. Th- thanks very much.